Man, I hope you guys are having a good weekend. You guys have a good Saturday yesterday. How many of you guys are glad college football is back? Yeah, the Hawks had a great first half. <laughs> it's just, hey, at least we know some things never change even when there's a pandemic going on, right? The Hogs will always be consistent for us. <laughs> Sorry, that's, I don't know, it's too soon. Too soon, some of you are a little too sensitive still. I just got some really ugly looks from some people. I want the Hogs to win too, trust me. We are in the life of Christ. If you haven't signed up for this, I encourage you to do it. Uh, the best way to do this is that you just find a couple of friends that you can do it with, that you can just kind of text. Uh, even after you've gone through the message for the day, uh, they have been really good. Today, we're gonna look at one of the stories, uh, the encounters that we looked at this last week in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says this, one day, an expert in religious law, that just sounds like somebody to be a blast to hang out with right there. This expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Do this and you'll live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? So this religious lawyer, essentially, he gets this part right, like love God and love my neighbor as Myself, And I love that this is like the greatest commandment because God knows how much we love ourselves. Come on, we all love some me. I don't care who you are. If you're really honest, you're good at taking care of yourself, typically speaking. Ephesians 5.29 says this, no one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. We all pamper ourselves. Like even men, come on, men, we pamper ourselves. I've actually been a little surprised to hear about how many men are getting pedicures and manicures these days. And I just want to let you know, if you're one of those guys, come up here after service. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to go ahead and take your man card too, because this, but we, we do, we pamper ourselves. We take care of ourselves really well. But Jesus knows this guy, he has an ulterior motive. And so Jesus is going to answer him and probably a lot longer answer than the guy really intended to get. But I can just imagine what Jesus is thinking because Jesus knows who this guy is. He knows how religious he is. I'm sure he's thinking, this would be my version of what Jesus is thinking, so I'm sure it's not right, but this is how I would be thinking at least. I'm sure he's thinking, look, you're an expert, right? So here's the deal, bro. I want you to take note of how much you love yourself. I want you to take note of how you always put yourself in the best place in the synagogues and how you always get the best seat for yourself and how you seek to be seen when you pray and when you're in public and, and how you exercise all this rigor to maintain the law and make sure people know just how good you are at obeying the law. And, and you have this ultimate concern for your own well-being now the command is this, take all that zeal, take all that effort and energy and seek your neighbor's 
well-doing more and well-being more. Do this and you'll live. And so he asked the question, how do I obtain eternal life? And Jesus is covering way more than just eternal life. He's saying, look, you're not even living now. You're missing it completely. So this guy, he's, he's wanting some more clarity on the whole neighbor thing because he certainly doesn't want to waste any time loving someone who isn't in his circle of who he considers a neighbor. Now, before we judge this guy too quickly, I think we have to be honest. Even subconsciously, we all have a tendency to do this. Like we will draw circles and say, everyone that's in this circle, these are my neighbors. But if they're not in this circle, not, not neighbors, don't have to love them. Don't have to care about them. But we may ask, so Jesus, when it says, love your neighbor, are you talking like my Facebook neighbors? I love my Facebook neighbors. Because I can just unfollow anyone that I don't want to be a neighbor with. Or are you talking about like my neighbor neighbors, like in my neighborhood neighbors? Or are you talking about the people I work with? Do I have to love people that are different than me? Different accents, different skin colors, different political views. Who does this include? And I'm sure if we're really honest, a lot of us parents are like, God, are my kids my neighbors? <laughs> like, does that, is that in the circle? So this guy is really just doing exactly what we do, trying to find a loophole. What's the qualifier? This word neighbor in the Hebrew and Greek both translate to near, near. So really it's just whoever is near you at the time, whoever is near you at the time, that's your neighbor. Some of you are like, well, I ain't near to that one guy on Facebook. Well, as soon as you see the comment, as soon as you read the post, you just brought yourself near. So you have to choose if you're going to choose to love in the nearness of them being your neighbor in that moment. The interesting thing is the near part of this neighbor for the Jews, that included the Romans. Okay, so this is this tyrannical government. And there were all kinds of laws that the Romans would put, requirements that the Romans would put on the Jews. I find it interesting, you know, even Jesus submitted under all that. Even Jesus submitted. He, he said, render under Caesar. What is Caesar's? But one of the, one of the laws that was given that the Jews had to abide by was that if there was ever a Roman soldier, and let's just say they were in transition between different posts or they just had to walk across town, if they had anything that they were carrying, any of their possessions, a shield or whatever they would have with them, if they saw a Jewish person, they could go and make that Jewish person carry their stuff at least a mile. That was the law. In Matthew 5, 41, this is Jesus speaking. He says, but if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Because even though they're tyrants 
And even though they're forcing you to do something that isn't fair, that isn't right, how are you going to show love? That's where the phrase, go the extra mile, comes from. But Jesus defines neighbor with this story. He says, look, there's these three guys. There's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. It sets up like a bad joke. Like, a Jew, a Protestant, and a Catholic walk into a bar. Stop if you've heard this one, you know? Like, he's, he's setting this up, but his audience is all religious leaders. He knows this. He says there's this guy... And most theologians believe it was probably a Jew who was traveling on the main road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Okay, so I've been on this road. It's so crazy because it, it, over the course of just a few miles, you go from about 2,000 feet above sea level to the lowest point on earth. Uh, Jericho is in the same valley, valley as the Dead Sea. So you go to 1,200 feet below sea level. But it is this just like rocky, rough terrain. And this, at that point, they was known as a route where people got mugged, people got attacked. In fact, it was called the way of the blood, okay? That was one of the nicknames that it had. So everyone is familiar, like this is not, this is a dangerous place, especially for particular people, okay? And he says that as this man is, on this journey, he gets attacked, he gets mugged. He, he, he doesn't just get robbed, he gets beat up, he gets beat to within an inch of his life being taken. He's just barely holding on and he's over on the side of this road, kind of in a ditch, barely holding on to life. And then he talks about these three people that come and respond in different ways of how we respond when we're aware of the hurt of our neighbors, of the pain of our neighbors. One response is we can just look away. We can just look away. This is what the priest does. And this is kind of just avoidance. Verse 31 says, by chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Okay, now there's more context within this than what we just read at face value because in the, under the law, of Moses, the priests were never allowed to come close to encountering a dead body. If they ever came close or touched in any way a dead body, they were unclean. They could no longer fulfill their priestly duties. Okay, but the thing is, this guy's not dead, but this priest is worried. If I go and take care of him and then he dies, then I won't be able to do my priestly duties, which also meant that he couldn't receive the gifts that people would bring to him as a priest. So religious mindset, it, it, it just completely removes him out of the equation. It's like, he probably justified it to some level. Like the only way I can continue to help people and be a, be a good priest is I can't go anywhere near this guy because if he dies, I won't be able to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm ashamed to say there's definitely been times that I've even had this mindset. There's been times when I'll be on my way to an appointment, maybe even to counsel someone, right? And I'll see somebody on the side of the road and maybe they got a flat tire or whatever. And I've stopped before and I've helped people, but there's been times I'll see somebody in need and I'll think, I've got to get to my appointment where someone is waiting for me to pastor them. And drive right by the need. Not think, man, I just... I'm just going to avoid it. In fact, it's just better to pretend like I didn't even see it. What? Oh, I didn't. 
Didn't know. Didn't see it. This lifestyle of avoidance. I think that there's been times, honestly, as a parent, I should say more specifically as a dad, that I've taken this approach. Uh, there have been times, especially when it involved anything having to do with throw up, where I'll just be it's just I'll just pretend like I don't even see it. So you can hear this retching happening, and James, James, what what is it? And Cody will already be up to her wrist in it, you know, trying to clean it up. I'm like, oh, oh, well, you will you look at that. I guess they're sick. Looks like you've got it taken care of, though. <laughs> You're so great about all that. Because I don't want to get in the middle of that mess. I think a lot of times this is just simply because there's an inconvenience with it. We don't want to be bothered. Second guy's this Levite, and he's a temple assistant, okay? So this is somebody that, He's not a priest, but he has aspirations that he could be like the priest, this temple assistant. He walks over and he looks at him lying there, but he also passes by on the other side. This one's almost worse. Like the, the priest just like acted like he didn't see him. But this guy goes and looks at him, sees him. So another way we could respond is we can look but not care. So there, this Levite, which is not a gene salesman, by the way. Uh, sorry, bad dad joke. Uh, Levite, Levi's, gene salesman. You guys are mean. He comes along and he walks over. looks at all the hurt and pain. It's like he went over just long enough to get a Snapchat. Like, oh man, I got to post this on Instagram. Check this guy out. So he looks at it, but then, but then walks away. Let me just say this. Religion doesn't make you more loving. You can be religious and you can go to every church service that has ever happened at any church you've ever attended in your whole life and never love your neighbor as yourself. So you sees him, stands there long enough to get an idea. This guy's not in a good place, but then he walks to the other side and walks away. Look, I think all of us, like we think about this, we're seeing this picture in our head and we're like, oh my gosh, that's just brutal. But how many of y'all know there's a lot of times in life where we don't mind to stare, but we hate to stop. Because the stopping part is just, man, it's, that, that's when we have to actually show we care. And then it says that this despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. So the third response to the hurt is we can look and act. How many of you, when you get sick, you just immediately demand all attention? Come on, let's just be honest. Don't lie in church. God will kill you. How many of y'all, when you get sick, you just, you're not going to admit it. Okay, a few of you. I'm that way. 
When I get sick, when I get sick, I'm like, no one understands how horrible. I am sicker than any human being that has ever lived because I am one of the toughest people you will ever meet. And so if I don't feel good, this is serious. And all of you need to understand how serious this is. But if someone else is sick, I'm like, look, unless your lung is hanging out of your mouth, <laughs> cowboy up, okay? Get over yourself. Why are, you, why are you being so dramatic? Oh my goodness, you're such a drama queen. That's because we have maybe a little bit of a low grasp of sympathy and empathy towards what people are dealing with. So Jesus picks this group that the Jews hated the most. There'd been a feud going on between the Samaritans and the Jews for over 700 years. Why? Honestly, it was race. The Samaritans were half Jewish and then a mixture of other races. And so the Jews hated them. They were those people. And I love that Jesus makes that guy the hero of the story. So how do we need to love people? First of all, people need to be seen. In the second half of, or in verse 33, it says, when he saw the man's condition, the Samaritan, when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. If you're, you're looking at this in your Bible, Bible app, whatever, you can highlight or underline, he saw because so many times we can see even throughout the word that our eyes are directly related to how our hearts respond. Over and over again in the gospels we read, and Jesus saw, and Jesus saw, and he respond. This is sympathy to recognize the needs of those around us. We have to see it first. So many people need Jesus. That's the issue. It's not everything else that we're making the issue. People need Jesus. And I have to be sensitive. Love is sensitive. So I have to look beyond labels. I have to look beyond the exterior and the anger and the sin. And I have to be able to see soul in need. The eternal element of this person but I have to be willing to see. In Matthew 25, 30, it says, so when, did you, so when did we see you, a stranger, and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, this is Jesus speaking, truly I say to you, as in the same way, that you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So when you see, when you, you choose to see and look past everything that seems apparent, see, man, no, this is an opportunity for me to minister directly to the heart of Jesus. I'm not doing this to that person as much as I'm doing it to the person in the image that he's created. That's what this is about. But you can't meet the need until you see it. And you have to listen. 
<laughs> once you see it. You have to listen. There's one wounded people all around you. I promise you that. I promise you there's probably people sitting on your row or within proximity of you right now and they're wounded. They're wounded financially. They're wounded emotionally. They're wounded physically. They're wounded spiritually. Certainly wounded relationally because of parents or betrayal or bosses or even pastors. They've been wounded by grief. Why is it that we don't see it? I don't think it's because we're mean or hateful or hard-hearted. I don't think that's the biggest issue. The top reason, it's because we're moving too fast. We're too busy. And the busier we get, the less loving we'll be. And the thing that's so interesting to me is the very people that you're busy for, like the people that are actually causing you to be the busiest, which a lot of times is our family, we will get so busy that we won't even be able to love them well. And they're the very reason why we're busy. You can never love your spouse, love your kids, or love anyone around you well when you're moving too fast, when you're too busy. So we have to slow down. Recently, I started running a little bit more, which is a big deal because I hate it. And uh, I used to run a lot back in my early 20s and through my 20s. And then I just stopped running because it hurts my body. But I wanted to try, see if I could get back into it again because Cody's been running and, and I, you know, I don't mind running with her. But in the neighborhood that we live, it is really hilly, like really hilly. But here's the thing, you don't realize how hilly it is when you're in your car. <laughs> I've judged people driving through my neighborhood, man, they are moving at a snail's pace. <laughs> They call that a run? That's like an old man's shuffle. Look at them <laughs> breathing hard. My goodness. Until you're on the hill. <laughs> I find that when I'm running, a couple of things happen. First of all, I see more. I see things that I don't normally see. I observe things about people's homes and and realize, oh man, they, they must have kids. I can see a bike out in the front yard, right? You can hear more. Maybe somebody yelling from inside of their house. or You see more, you hear more, but, but most of all, you feel more. You feel more. When you're moving slower, it allows you to feel what, what people feel but it doesn't happen if you're moving too fast. People also need to be supported. So sympathy starts at the eyes, but empathy happens in the heart. In the second half of verse 33, when the Samaritan saw, he saw, sympathy saw him, his heart was filled with compassion, empathy. So his eyes kicked in first and then his heart. But empathy is that's, that's the part where you're truly seeking to understand 
look, you don't have to agree with every person's perspective, but you have to be mature enough to understand that their perspective is their reality and not discount it. Not just throw it out because you don't agree with the perspective. In Matthew 9.35, this isn't in your notes, but it's talked about the compassion and the empathy of Jesus. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area by the way he was walking, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom and healed every kind of disease and illness. He wasn't afraid to be around that. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe you just don't have a lot of compassion for people right now. Maybe that actually frustrates you. There's been times as a pastor where I feel like it's hard for me to be compassionate. Clinically speaking, like a therapist will tell you, you can get to a point where you lose your compassion because you're faced with so much need and so much hurt. I think there's a good chance that we could allow ourselves to get in that place as a people. It could be way easier just to kind of lock ourselves behind closed deal, doors and only allow the specific inputs that help us support what we want to believe and what we want to think and reject every other perspective because if we open ourselves to other perspectives, it may have caused us to have to be sympathetic and then empathetic and actually care about the perspective. But that's not in our circle that we've drawn. I think sometimes we get very calloused. You get calluses on your hands and even sometimes calluses on your feet. Why? Because your body is adapting so that you don't injure yourself. You know, CrossFit people know all about this. They'll take pictures of their calluses and post it like this, like trophy. We're like, we get it. You do CrossFit. It's awesome. But your calluses are nasty. Okay. Stop showing us that stuff. The worst thing in the world is when you start getting calluses on your heart because you think that's the way you're going to protect yourself. In reality, you're hurting yourself and you're also removing God's ability to work in you and through you to feel what other people feel. People need to be served. People need to be served. This is the action part of this. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. It's so cool to me. The last time a man was carried on a donkey to an inn to be cared for was the king of kings. See, we should treat every person like they're royalty. But I just think this picture, you know, of this guy, because here's the thing, when you start caring, when you love your neighbor, people are messy. So messy. You know, the Bible talks about us being like sheep. I think that's just such a great comparison. A couple days ago, though, one of my friends, I don't know, is Seth here? You here, Seth? 
I don't know if he's going to be here today. Seth uh, and his family, they own a cattle ranch. So growing up, I used to ride a lot, and I used to I work cattle from time to time. But I just hadn't been around in a long time, and I, I enjoy it. I like, I like going out, and, and I like that kind of work. It's just good, hard, honest work. And so I just asked, hey, you got any work coming up I can go help with? And he's like, yeah, we got, we got a bunch of heifers. We need to round up out of one of the pastures and bring them in. We got to treat. Some of them are getting pink eye. And pink eye with cows, they don't have the ability to, to clean themselves or anything. So a pink eye with a cow, if it, if it stays along this infection sets in, they can lose vision in one of their eyes or both their eyes. And that's, that's not great. So we went out and we, we just started rounding up all these heifers. There was, about, I think, like 170, 175 of them. It's really hard, though, sometimes. These are two-year-olds, okay? I feel like they're very similar <laughs> to two-year-old humans as well. And so you're just, we're trying to round them up. So we get them, and we're trying to head them, and we, we, we're, we're trying to get them over into a pen so we can send them through a chute so that we can take care of them. But we'd open this gate, we'd open this gate, and we're trying to push them towards this gate, but they are just standing there. They won't go through the open gate. Freaking out. And the thing is, you can't push them too hard. If you push them too hard, they start darting, and then you have to go and round up the ones that try to run off. So you just kind of move really slow. You have to be really, really patient. And eventually a couple of them will step through that, that gate. The phrase, like, like a cow staring at a new gate. That's what it is. What is it? It's fear. It's the unknown. It's something, it's somewhere they hadn't been before. So we finally get them through there. We get them into the pen and we're sending them through the chute. But I mean, I, you know, it's this confined thing and we put them and in this contraption where you just squeeze them and their heads are, and they're freaking out. So Seth, my friend, he's so patient. I'm annoyed. I'm like, these things are stupid. But they're in there swinging their head and there's snot and slobber flying all over the place. Just, and, 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 cow poop just gets flying through the air and Seth's just like it's covering him it's all over he's like oh, you gotta be still little guy I'm trying to help you what a great picture of how we are God's trying to get us to places that we need to go we're too fearful and concerned. Sometimes we won't even move, but he won't force us. We gotta choose. But he's really just trying to get us to a place so we can get everything that he has for us so we can be healthy and whole and healed. And, but man, we're a mess. And we resisted and we're fighting. We're throwing our stuff all over the place. And Jesus just takes it. And just says, it, there's nothing that you can do that's too messy that I'm not gonna love you and take care of you. People are messy. 
It's not our role and not our responsibility to force anybody to see the love of Jesus. But I promise you, when you get around them and you're just trying to show them, you're just trying to care for them, you're gonna get in some mess. But man, it's so worth it. People need to be supported. People need to be served. This man goes over to him. He takes action. Love is a verb. Come on, DC Talk, anybody? It's something you do. But it says in one translation here, and he stooped down. In other words, he got on the man's level. He didn't pretend he was superior. He didn't talk down to him. But then it says, and then he used what he had. He dressed the man's wound with wine and oil. Why? That's what he had. That's what he had. And then, and then it says that he bandaged him. But what did he bandage him with? All right, he's not like an EMT. He's like, let me go back over to my donkey and get my med kit. Bring it over, take care of you. He didn't have like band-aids. He used his own clothes to bandage the man. He just used what he had. This is so huge because some of you are like, Pastor James, you're a pastor. Of course you're supposed to go and love and take care of people and, and help them emotionally and, and physically and, and spiritually and socially and all this because you have all the stuff that you need to be able to do that. Well, let me just tell you something. There's been plenty of times I've counseled some of you and you're like, it really didn't help me that much. But we all have our testimony and we all have the word of God and we all have the ability to encourage and we all have the ability to speak truth in life. And then all of us in an individual way, we have all been given something by God that we can use to bring healing and wholeness. Just use what you have. Just use whatever God has given you. Use what you have. You can trust God. You can trust God. He'll work through you if you'll give him the chance. How? Well, if you wanna talk about around this church, it has to do with you inviting people. Truth is, we're rebuilding teams. There's a lot of our people, a lot of our serve teams that they just haven't come back for different reasons. Some of them may never come back. We, we need more people helping us serve. We don't need more people in our kids' ministries and, and greeting at our doors. We need more people that wanna be a part of our outreach teams that are, are helping us go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. But the truth is, even if you don't look to what we're doing as a church, I promise you there is an opportunity around you right now if you'll just see and listen and care and respond. Ephesians 2.10, the message translation says, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does. The good work, which he's gotten ready for us to do. Work we had better be doing. I don't know if you have any urgency in your spirit about the times that we're living in, but I sure do. I wanna make sure that I'm loving people the way Jesus loves them. 
Now, when Jesus returns, I don't want to act like all of a sudden that I've been loving him the way I should. But by the way, I'm loving other people. I want to have confidence. I've been loving you by the way I've loved your people, period. I want you to remember how God met you and loved you exactly where you were. The day that you accepted a relationship with Christ, and even if in that moment you weren't beat up, broken, a mess, I promise you there has been a time, a season, and some of you, you're still in it, where you have been a mess. And Jesus has still come to you. He still loved you. He still accepted you unconditionally. He still said, I still want to be with you. I still want to forgive you and make you whole and heal you. The great thing is everything he gave is all that we need. I love how God loves us too much to leave us in the middle of our mess. So are we going to be like the Samaritan who gives help when needed? Or are you going to get caught in the questions of, I mean, who am I really supposed to help? Or, or when? Or where? Or how? Man, can we just pray that the Lord would do a work in our hearts? That we wouldn't put conditions on how we love close our eyes, bow our heads. I just want to start with giving an opportunity to anybody that's in this room that is away from God. I don't know what all the reasons would be. It may be that you've just never had a relationship with him. You've never taken the opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did, but for whatever reason, your own shame and guilt and condemnation, or just maybe you just got too busy and you have wandered, you've drifted away from, you have no confidence about his love and his forgiveness and his plan and purpose for your life. I don't know where you're at, but I do know that one of, one of the things that, that I am responsible for and that and I love to do is just give people an opportunity to be honest about that. Just to be honest, to be transparent. And what I love about the heart of God is he's not interested in exposing us and embarrassing us. And I'm not gonna do that to you today. I, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna expose you, but I'm gonna give you the opportunity just to be bold enough to admit, look, I'm away from God and I need him. And you admitting it to me is not what gets you saved, but you taking a physical act of your free will to say, that's me, I, that's me. When you do that, I do believe it releases something in you. And I think it's just the faith to receive everything that God has for you. And I just wanna give you a chance to respond that way. So nobody's looking around. This is between you and God, but it is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And even if you weren't planning on making it, and even if you're worried about what someone may think, and even somebody is sitting right next to you, this is between you and God, and there's nothing that should keep you from being bold about this. But if you know you're away from Jesus and you just need it, no one's looking around, but that's you where you just put your hand up. As soon as you put your hand up, as soon as I see, you can put it down. Thank you so much for being bold. I got you. Anyone else? I'm just away from him. Got it. Thank you, guys. Got you, bro. Thank you. There at the back, I got you. Anyone else? I'm just away from Jesus. I need a relationship with him. Got you. I got you. Anyone else? We have some adults, some kids, some students. 
Anyone else? I'm ready. I want to respond to what I know God is speaking to my heart right now. I got you, buddy. Anyone else? I'm just away from him. I need him. I'm ready to have a relationship with him. Okay. So thankful for those few hands. And if you just raise your hand, this is the it's a prayer we're gonna do, and you, and you can just do it in your own heart. The word does say that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you're saved. And so there's a part of this that, that for you and for your relationship, you gotta tell people. You gotta go public with this decision. And I encourage you to do that as soon as this service is over. Let someone know, let us know about it. We'd love to know about it. But let's just talk to him right now. Let's just be honest and just say something like this. Say, God, here's my life. And, and all my mistakes and all my sin. I, I know I can't save myself. I ask for your forgiveness, Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, but I also believe that you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave, which is how you defeated sin. You defeated death because you overcame it. And that because of that, now, now I can have a new life. So I thank you that you're, you don't just wanna forgive me of my sin, but you wanna give me a purpose and a life in you that I know I can't get that if I'm living for myself. And so I repent. I turn away from living for myself, from living with the way the world wants me to live. I wanna live the life that you have for me by your strength, by your Holy Spirit. Help me to understand your word. Help me be connected to other believers that can encourage me in my new faith. God, I know that the part of what you have for me is to live a life in love with you. First and foremost, but for that to overflow into the people that are around me. I wanna bring glory to you by the way I love you and love others. Father, I, I pray that that would be the conviction of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would just by your spirit work into every single one of us, what needs to be worked into us, not to bring shame or guilt and condemnation, but to bring about the understanding that we are in your righteousness because of Christ. And because of that, there are no circles or boundaries to who we love and when we love and why we love and what we love. We just love because we are first loved by you. Help us to walk that. Help us to show that. Help us to speak it. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.